Welcome to The Hard Way with Anvil T&D, where three Australian veterans cover everything physical and mental health, business, education, and life lessons learned the hard way. Each episode, the Anvil team challenge themselves, their guests, and their listeners to ask the hard questions, acknowledge their biases, broaden their perspective, and have a laugh along the way. Now, here are your hosts, Dan, Marshall, and Nathan. Beware the dark humor and enjoy the podcast. Um, welcome to the Hardware Anvil TD podcast. Today, we're talking about the article Deconstructing an Acronym, which talks about PTSD and kind of where people get their understanding some and also a bit more detailed explanation of what it actually is. So um, to start off, the article just explains, if you don't know what PTSD is, it means it's an acronym for post-traumatic stress disorder. And the focus of the article is around the word traumatic because people get caught up in the acronym and they probably draw their definition of what PTSD means from a bunch of things based on their experience and a lot of those experience for the general public is just like movies or hearing about it in the news maybe yeah whenever they report on uh mental health issues yeah i think the common experience of ptsd for most people is like seeing a movie where yeah. some dude like dives under a table every time a car backfires mm. or, or like, yeah and they get those comments like, like the flashbacks like um yeah. was it um it's american sniper is a good example <laughs> of like some common ones like how he's like grabbing the dog when it starts attacking or barking at a kid or yeah, yeah. he gets his flashbacks or he's just like doesn't like going outside stares you know those kind of common things yeah. that understandings that and people it's have usually military related yes well and that's the thing another point of the article is that um the military seems like and there's a reason for this because the military statistics around pdsd and other mental health um conditions is pretty concerning and higher than almost any other demographic or any other demographic and so as a part of that the military a lot of military personnel have kind of taken ownership or veterans have taken ownership of some of the or ptsd in particular and have kind of almost gatekeeped that condition in the sense that if you don't meet certain criteria some people may think that others who have experienced traumatic events um aren't worthy of that label yeah and uh, i think you always get the like the generational gaps and the like cultural divides where you've got like you know the people in vietnam claim that their ptsd is worse mm. because of you know the napalm and the Viet Cong and whatever yeah the jungle be. environment yeah, yeah jungle environment and it's unique sort of terrifying aspects and then you've got the generation that deployed to iraq and afghanistan and they had the ieds and um you know sort of vehicle ambushes stuff like that you can't tell who the enemy is because mm. they're all wearing civvy clothes that sort of thing um and then you've got completely separate to military related ptsd you've got you know sexual trauma survivors yes. who you know still fit the definition you know clinically but you know people in the military may not even accept that form of mm, exactly PT- yeah ptsd because they think that you had to get blown up just to qualify yeah know? and i said the like the general in the military um and again we use i say this in the article but this is based on fairly anecdotal evidence because it's from our experience in the military where it's quite prevalent as we said the statistics etc and that's why we draw from that quite a lot and we will draw from that quite a lot in this um 
But yeah, there's the general idea, the criteria I've put in there, the three dot points. It's like get deployed, experience a traumatic event that may be um, getting when your life's at risk or seeing something horrible. And then you come back and you find it hard to integrate back into society. And that's the general like, unless you experience this, then, you know, shut up. You don't know what trauma is. Yeah. And um, the idea of the article is to talk about in more detail the varying levels that someone can experience um, after a traumatic event or during a traumatic event in their life because a lot of people think um, PTSD is just one thing yeah. and if you don't have or if you don't meet the criteria that they um, put on it, then you don't have anything. Yeah. And that isn't what it's like in the clinical world anyway because, um, yes, there is PTSD is its own condition and there's two levels below that um, and if you don't... PTSD is considered quite complex. There's a lot of factors and it's um, even diagnosing it can be quite difficult. Yeah. So that's the general idea. Um, it's talking about how n not just people that have experienced combat or military deployment can have this and trying to um, give information that people probably don't have because, as we said, a lot of um, ideas around PTSD are drawn from more Hollywood or yeah. those kind of, you know, very distant experiences I'm yeah, um, just hearing about it. Personal experience. I mean, PTSD is a fairly new thing. Like, mm, yeah. um, you know, and it's had a bunch of different names before. Uh, at one point, it might have been referred to as something like shell shock. Yeah. Um, uh, was it war fatigue or battle fatigue, yeah, I battle think, was fatigue. one. It's, and the, the term post-traumatic stress disorder is fairly recent. Mm. And the reason why it had to change to P PTSD is because previously it seemed like it was only prevalent in the military community, right? That's one of the reasons why veterans sort of have that ownership claim of that condition. They seem to think that it's only relevant to military people because that's sort of where the studies came from, you know? Mm. Um, people, Severe cases. Yeah, people didn't realise that this was a problem until they started going, why the fuck are all these people coming back from war zones with a completely different attitude, different mental state? Maybe they're fitting certain descriptors or, you know, uh, criteria. And like Dan said before, to diagnose full-blown PTSD is, it's complex. Like, um, and... It needs to be done by a mental health professional, mm. right? Um, which none of us are, uh, but we work in-house with a, um, a trauma therapist, a trauma specialist, and he's a doctor of psychology, and he specializes in treating post-traumatic stress disorder and other stress-related conditions. Um, and you know, so he was sort of our reference, and he's our reference point for this kind of thing. Mm. Oh, yeah, I spoke to him. I told him I was going to do when I was before I wrote this. I spoke to him and said this is what I want to write about, and got some advice from him. And that's where I draw the information from. I didn't yeah. just pull this out of my ass, you <laughs> yeah. know. Yeah, and it's, I mean, it's come from the military community because that's where people started to recognise it. But mm. just because it started with the military community over history doesn't mean that's where it needs to remain because. Uh, you know, Dan goes on to say in the beginning of this article that it is focused around trauma and trauma is a fairly individual experience. Mm. So when it comes to how someone experiences trauma, 
my reaction to a certain situation may be completely different to Dan's, to Nathan's, and then to just anyone else that I meet on a day-to-day basis. Yeah, and if you were to ask why that is, no one could give you an answer. Mm. They, they're not that. No one knows why one human's experience with the same event is different to another's. Yeah. Um. You know, two people see a two people see a violent car crash. One person never gets over it. The other person just goes about their day, yeah. and there's no definitive reason as to why that happens or why that is. Yeah, and. Situations like that, like there are certain situations that tend to objectively fit the criteria Mm. for PTSD and there are some that don't. So PTSD, we spoke about this a little bit before, but there is um, sort of a scale up to PTSD. Um, There's adjustment disorder, which is sort Mm. of the first, I don't want to say the first level, but it's, you know, it's a significant amount of stress has entered your life as a result of a specific incident. Yeah, and generally adjustment disorder is from um, like situational things. Like say you, it's like, yeah, it's a str- from a stressor. So it may be you've lost a loved one recently or you've lost your job, you're going yeah. through a divorce and generally they um, onset quite quickly but also end quite quickly. Yeah, and generally within six, month, six month period, unless the stressor, say a divorce or something is continuing yeah, on persists. and then, yeah, persists and then the stressor will stay there and the, con- the symptoms will stay there. Um, and that's the reason these, so the three are adjustment disorder, acute stress disorder, and then PTSD. And the reason they're kind of not lumped together, but relate to each other is they have similar symptoms, Yeah. but, um, they may present differently. Like, um, acute stress, uh, pardon me, adjustment disorder. You may only display one of these things or you may display similar symptoms, but the reason behind that isn't something that's going to persist over a long period of time. Yeah. Hence the say six months. Um, and then, yeah, so acute stress disorder, that's something where, yeah, you may have experienced, you may have seen someone die or something quite severe like that, something, but then the symptoms you display, you might only show, or generally that you'll only show one of the common symptoms for a complex case of PTSD. Yeah. And some of those, you know, like flashbacks, um, feeling distant from those around you, you know, um, struggling to feel, show emotions or feel joy for something you used to feel joy for. Yeah. yeah the more common symptoms people have heard of that. So they may only display one of those. And then you go into PTSD where that's like, again, yeah, traumatic experience, just seeing someone die, near, near death experience, being in like a warlike environment or torture, things like that, sexual abuse. Yeah. Another big one, and that's when you'll get, say, a bunch of those um, symptoms, like multiple ones, and, yeah, the reliving experiences, the struggling to feel um, or feel relate to people or you feel distant from everyone. Um, And we list list more in the article, and there's quite a few. There's people present in a lot of different ways. They display their um, distress quite um, sometimes differently, but there's those very common ones that they look out for. Yeah. And that's when um, that's the more complex cases that can, and generally it's quite interesting that it may not, um, the symptoms may not onset for a case of PTSD for an extended period of time. The, yeah. They almost lay dormant. Yeah. And so uh, that's another thing to sort of, I guess, discuss um, as we sort of get a bit further into this topic is, like we said before, trauma is. Um, the, or the re- reaction to trauma is individual. Um, but there are certain experiences that are considered traumatic regardless of how you react to them. So, mm-hmm. you know, like we said before, things like sexual assault, um, you know, a, a life-threatening experience where you genuinely feel like you may die, um, living in a warlike environment and experiencing things that are a threat to your life. Uh, these kind of things have an effect on your body, whether you show 
an initial reaction to that stuff or not. They tend to change the way that you react to stresses. They have a physiological reaction. So, you know, things like cortisol and adrenaline are released um, when you're exposed to different environments, that kind of thing Um, that you just don't get when you're um, when you don't experience events like that. So Mm. um, you may get those two people that uh, one of them, you know, can never forget that car crash experience for the rest of their life. The other one sort of goes about their day-to-day life. But both of them probably had a similar physiological reaction. Um, And it's impossible to say that that person that initially was like, this doesn't affect me, Mm. it's not going to pop back up 10, 20, 30 years later and suddenly there'll be an event which is commonly known as a trigger that will stimulate those stress responses all over again and can result in things like severe anxiety, severe depression, mm. um, panic attacks, things like yeah, that. Yeah, it's so, interesting because um, with the full PTSD cases, I don't like saying the term full PTSD cases, but in this case, the third level, Yeah, I suppose, the complex cases, that um, one of the common symptoms is people feeling... Um, once again, feeling the, um, say, feelings they had during that situation. So if you were in a a traumatic event where there was a large release of a stress response, Mm -hmm. say like fight or flight, um, you may start to feel that again when you're just sitting on your couch but you're having a flashback or just thinking about it. Yeah. So that's a common thing to look out for. um, And you've probably heard of that. Yeah, people that jump on the floor when they hear gunshots and things like that or hear a sound similar to those kinds of things. Yeah. I think... um I think one of the main points from this article is uh, we were sort of trying to address the fact that um, PTSD isn't just related to the military. No. It's also not just related to people that have been deployed on combat operations. Um, If you have deployed on combat operations, the chances that you have PTSD-like symptoms are much higher. Mm. That's just a statistic. Um, But that doesn't give you the exclusive rights to that particular condition you know so um so one of the things that we really wanted to to address when we you know after leaving the military and sort of gaining a great understanding of how you know how diverse the mental health environment is is to try and raise some awareness for the fact that um these conditions are not exclusive to one set experience you know you do not need to get shot at or be in a contact or get blown up overseas to have PTSD. Um, on the flip side to that, if someone is experiencing some severe mental health issues and, you know, they're having similar reactions, they have these symptoms, they're presenting with this stuff, but they haven't been on a combat deployment and been in a contact, that doesn't mean that their experience isn't valid. You know, mm. so we really wanted to raise the fact that there is validity for mental health issues outside of what you might think is the norm or, you know, how you define it. Um, and one of the things that Dan uh, really hammers on in the article is you're probably not a mental health professional. <laughs> yeah, well, that's one of the things I want to say is, and I've spoken with people before and they've said, oh, they just they can't just keep changing the criteria to meet once they want to say that people have PTSD or something like that. And it's like, you know, this I'm discussing this with someone who's probably one of the gatekeepers yeah. of this condition and not a mental health professional yeah. because that's the people that have... And, yeah, it's again, it's hard to find metrics for these things and you yeah. can only do so much and that's why they have those objective criteria. They go, this is traumatic for everyone. So if you experience these, the chances that you are suffering from something is much higher. 
And yeah, so I would trust, and like, if anyone does argue with these things, I say in the article, you're arguing with science-backed, yeah, or evidence-backed and science. We're, we look at it from the context, and I mean, mental health is a tricky one, right? Because it is inherently subjective. Uh, but when we look at where these studies have come from that, you know, show that people presenting with certain symptoms may fit the criteria for a condition like this... Initially, it obviously originated with the military. And the U.S. Army were um, the kind of organization that has, you know, hundreds of thousands of people going through it. They can conduct studies on all those people because those people basically can't say no to the survey. Mm. So they can basically pull huge amounts of data from this this very, you know, very diverse group of people. Um, just because it was pulled from a group like the U.S. Army does not mean it's exclusive to the U.S. Army, right? They've got a diverse array of different types of people and they're conducting a, a survey that says of this amount of people, X amount displayed these symptoms, right? The ADF did something similar, uh, Australian Defence Force. They conducted you know, surveys and even in the article, Dan states that 24.9% of mm. people from the ADF that have discharged present with uh, symptoms that could be defined as PTSD, yeah. which is an extremely high percentage. Um, a quarter of people discharging from the Defence Force uh, apparently fit the bill for PTSD. Uh, which and that's a, like that's a lot of people. It's a shitload. Yeah. It's heaps of like people. Six thousand a year discharge from the military. Yeah, I'm not sure what the discharge that's, rate is, but um, it's a lot yeah. anyway. And you can take like you don't have to take that. Not every single one of those people is crawling on the ground every time they hear a car yeah. backfire and things like that. But they're displaying signs like PTSD symptoms. Yeah, and what what that means is it's it tends to be an indicator that. At this point in time, their mental health might be X, but if it deteriorates over a period of time, it could lead to Y. So it, it rather than us saying a quarter of the people in the army have PTSD, you know, which is a very shallow way to look at that. That's mm. a very much like Dan said. That's a very gatekeeper-y way to look at it. They go, mm. oh, it can't possibly be true, mm. you know, because a quarter of the people don't even deploy. You know, you immediately come up against these roadblocks that say, oh, in my personal opinion, as you know, your average infantry digger, that person doesn't fit my definition for PTSD. Mm. Okay, that's fucking great for you, but one, you have absolutely no experience in mental health. You're not a mental health professional, and. These people, we're not saying those people all have PTSD. No. We're saying that they display the signs and symptoms that means if their mental health deteriorates, it could get really fucking bad. And yeah. I mean, if you need any more evidence, look at the suicide statistics because, you know, you might feel fucking great leaving the military. And that tends to be, you know, one of the uh, pretty common emotions. I would well, yeah, say, it's like that honeymoon it? period. You yeah. get out, you're like, yes, I'm done with this place. And you get straight out and you're like, yeah, this is sick. And yeah. finally can not be treated like a child anymore and all this great yeah. stuff. And then it just... Yeah, Down. exactly. Yeah. And you have like, and that's life. Unfortunately, things tend to catch up with you and there's fluctuations, there's ups and downs. Um, but over time... You know, with structures that have fallen away and a lack of a, a defined support network and things like isolation from, you know, or alienation from the people that you feel the most close to, which were the military community for a very long time for most people, uh, you tend, your mental health tends to deteriorate. And when it deteriorates, those that 25% of people that were showing those signs and symptoms of, you know, high levels of trauma-related stress 
tend to result to more drastic measures than the average human being. And that's why you're ending up with all these people killing themselves because they don't see any other option. You know, they might have felt great when they left the army. They might have felt great in the army, but they may have also experienced some kind of, you know, complex trauma that leads them down a path that, you know, there's just no coming back from. So... When we look at statistics like this, we have to recognize that, one, something like PTSD does not fit this tiny little box that most people want to put it in. Um, Two, you need to accept that there are varying levels of stress disorders and not all of them are defined as PTSD. But just because someone doesn't have diagnosed PTSD doesn't mean they don't have, you know, a range of symptoms from a bunch of different stress disorders. Mm. And three, just because your mental health is great right now does not mean that it's going to be great all the time. Uh, One of the things that we like to really promote and raise awareness for is the fact that mental health is very similar to physical health. Um, If you don't take care of it, when it deteriorates, the injuries are generally much worse than if you do take care of Mm. it. So, you know, if you train a lot, if you're a relatively strong person, and I mean, we can use me as an example right now, I train all the time and I currently have a back injury, but I can still do things. I feel like with the levels of pain that I have right now, if I didn't train all the time, I'd be fucking immobile. I Mm. wouldn't even be getting out of bed. So the same sort of thing applies to mental health. If you have practices that you put in place, you know, you're getting enough sleep, you're eating the right foods, you're exercising because there is a distinct correlation between exercise and mental health and you have a support network you you know might do maintenance sessions with us with a psychologist things like this um if you have those practices when your mental health deteriorates you'll probably be okay Mm -hmm. but if you don't have those things or if you're not as um i guess not as conscious of how important mental health maintenance is you might have those symptoms of, you know, high-level stress disorders and when it deteriorates, you know, it's much harder to sustain. Mm. It's much harder to come back from. You end up in a pretty dark place. And, I mean, I, for one, can say that I've been in that situation. When I left the military, I was in a great place. Mm. I, you know, I was having a ball. Getting um, lit all the time. <laughs> getting lit all the time. Um, you know, living on the sunny coast, worked in a bar a couple of days a week. Um, you know, I was doing a uni degree and everything was, I guess, great. And then when things seriously deteriorated, and it tends to happen with a specific event, mine was an ex-girlfriend leaving, uh, that sort of tripped everything and it you know, made all this come cascading down, I ended up in a place that was very dark. You know? mm-hmm. So um, I think if I had you know, had better maintenance and you know, I think thankfully I had a good support network at the time, that probably prevented it from getting much, much worse. So... Mm-hmm. Um, it's evidence that anyone at any time can end up in a very bad place. Yeah, it doesn't take much. It's just, you know, sometimes you, like, it's like you're one bad day away from being from your worst. Mm. It can be sometimes. Yeah, that's exactly right. And, yeah. like, and since that time, you know, this was a few years ago, but since then I have started talking to a, a psych and in those sessions, however few that they've been really, I've learned that... I have multiple experiences that would be considered objectively traumatic. Mm. They fit the criteria for PTSD. Um, A few assessments early on, the psych said, you have 
um, very high levels of stress. You mm. have what I would call acute stress disorder. And then we talked more about my military career and he goes, no, this is definitely PTSD. <laughs> and at no stage did I ever think I thought I had PTSD. I would and... never consider, like, I don't go, oh, yeah, I've got that. Most of my experiences in the military, I don't even correlate with trauma. Yeah, I don't absolutely. see them that way. But the effect that they have on my body is completely different to how that I, you know, how I interpreted them at the time. Yeah, and that's an interesting thing because, like, I think anyone that's um, probably spent time in the military and done some stuff, whether you deployed or not, you've probably like spoken to some civilian people say it's a family or friend and just told them like a story or something yeah. and you can kind of feel or see that reaction there but they go oh that's kind of fun. like if you, and you if you're tuned into our wild west wednesdays you've probably you may have felt this. that too yeah um we kind of like i remember i was telling my brother just I was playing computer games with him we we're just chatting over the headset and i've just like told him some story about i don't know remember the, the rollerblading kid <laughs> yeah yeah oh yeah like we Try laugh boy. about this kid this kid was definitely a, a Fucking um, tri boy too, yeah. absolutely. But we used, to, you know, he just used to just rollerblade around the um, Afghan base. Yeah, and we'd like laugh about. It. I told my brother about this, and he's like, "It's kind of fucked up." It's super fucked up. And you're like, and you're like, oh yeah, I guess so. You know, yeah. <laughs> and but and that's just an example. That's not like something I'd, I've you know gone to a psych and be like, oh, this is fucked. Um, yeah. Obviously, I still laugh about it. Like. <laughs> But there's stuff that you don't realize is really fucked up because you're in that environment and especially in the military environment where a lot of that shit is just normal. Like that's the least of the stuff you may experience. Oh, yeah. So a lot of the stuff is like normal and it's like, and I go into a lot um, more of this stuff in another article later on where it's like uh, military culture, which promotes yeah. a kind of, um, you know, like big, bad, hard-ass, toxic masculinity kind yeah. of um, environment. So a lot of this stuff is normal and you do not relate to traumatic um, you know the definition of traumatic at all but when you tell someone that is especially a mental health expert they would go okay you know you know <laughs> yeah like I've, I, have you yeah. tried these pills yeah let's let's <laughs> let's sort you out yeah I think I've been seeing this like for about a year and a half now and there's been a bunch of times where he's gone oh and there's been times where he's like, like I've said like if you know what I mean he's gone I don't know what you mean. I don't. Um, but I understand what you're saying and, you know, and I've always appreciated that honesty. And a good, I think a good one will be honest with you as well when you say things like that. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, I, I mean, I, I remember just a couple of days ago when the doc came upstairs and was like, describing that experience and he's like oh i've been talking to uh so and so and i you know this experience is objective objectively really fucked up and mm. so and it is a fucked up experience mm. and he's like but that person doesn't seem to have any kind of reaction to it mm. yeah. uh, and i explained to him that in a military environment or you know a paramilitary environment whether whether it be police or you know, paramedics is another big mm. one. Where I mean, you imagine being a paramedic and mm. you're seeing really fucked up shit almost every single day, probably more than you would in the military environment. Um, or, you know, as a cop, just as much, you mm. know. The cop, cops are constantly responding to road accidents and, you know, domestic violence, sexual abuse, all this kind of fucked up stuff. There's... It rubs off, you know. It just, it's oh, not yeah. an isolated event. Just because it happens to someone else does not mean it doesn't affect you. Um, and... As a part of that culture and when you're a part of that life, like when I was in the military, there was a bunch of like stuff that happened that was just part of day to day. You know, you sort mm. of expected it. You, you expect people to die. You expect people to, you, you know, if 
I was a combat first aider. I expected it to treat people that were injured and getting fucked up. Yeah, like, that was like, just something that I yeah, thought that and would that happen. was just kind of like and again going to, like the culture is kind of like if you can't handle someone collapsing with heat and nearly dying, how are you going to do when someone's fucking like yeah. bleeding out in front of you? Like, and so that shit is just like, oh, it's just funny. We laugh yeah. about it. So, I mean, there is a, a level of what you would call, I guess, mental resilience, mm. but. When you're in that environment, and this is what I tried to explain to the dog, is when you're in that environment, that stuff doesn't phase you. It's no. not it's not the stuff that you expect to see that messes with your head. It's the stuff that you never expect that will get you. Mm. So for a military person, uh, you know, some really common, um, I guess, trigger events that tend to lead to a very serious decline in mental health, and this tends to happen after they discharge, is... Uh, when a spouse or partner leaves because that tends to be the last thing that they think they can control you know they as a as a millet and i'm pretty sure there's studies on this i know it popped up in the swiss eight thing as well uh, when they did a study on what commonly causes military people to or veterans that have discharged discharged to feel i guess you know a serious decline in their mental health is it it seems to be focused especially for males on the partner or spouse mm. leaving because and i guess colloquially when you leave the military you don't have your mates around all the time anymore you don't have this rigid structure to your life you don't have pt every morning you don't have that nine to three work day um you know you're not surrounded by your best mates all day, every day, doing stuff that, you know, gets the adrenaline going occasionally. You're all going through shit experiences together. Mm. Like, it's a very close-knit community. And then when you're at home, maybe you got the missus there or whatever. Um, a lot of people tend to leave the military and they lose all that stuff they didn't realise was really important to them. Mm. Um, in fact, they tend to have some negative association with the actual military environment, but they lose their support network, those close mates every day. They lose that structure, which is so important. A lot of them see a decline in their physical health because they just don't train as much anymore. Mm. Um, they probably tend to drink more just because they can. When you're in the army, you can't drink Monday to Friday unless you want some like frustrating implications with your day-to-day -day job. But... Um, when you're a civvy, you can sort of get away with it, you know? So they tend to drink more. And then if they have that event where the spouse leaves, like I did, it tends to be that last or the first domino that just leads to everything going yeah. straight Yeah, well, down. I guess, so, yeah, because I've, we've all had a partner, like yeah. broken up with a partner, you know? Yeah. <laughs> classic. Um, and I can... <laughs> the fact that you say classic is proving my point. Yeah, I know. <laughs> like, I'm agreeing with you. Yeah, yeah. I know. But that's what I mean is like the fact that you can go, oh, that's so classic veteran thing. Well, like, yeah, and that's because... that's it's a it's a big problem. Mm, and I remember it's like, well, even though everything else is shit, I still have this person. Yeah. I still have this to come home to and spend my time with and cares about me, I care about them. And then that falls apart for whatever reason. Like, I know mine, it, was, it wasn't like, as far as breakups go, it was fairly like good terms kind of thing. But yeah. still, it was like... You know what the fuck have I got left now? I'm just going yeah. working some short job I may not really give a fuck about. I'm just yeah. kind of and all like, and you think like fuck two years ago this is like so different. How did I end up here? And you're yeah. like trying to chase trace all these steps and just going this is just fucking yeah. bizarre. And objectively, a, a breakup is something that most people can handle, but for a veteran that may feel like they have nothing else left, um, or may not even realize, but that's just this last thing that's been continuous for like mm. a significant period of time it tends to have a pretty detrimental effect psychologically 
Um, it's a pretty big warning sign too, especially if you know a veteran or, um, you know, if you've seen someone in that sort of environment and they tell you that they've had a breakup, it can be a really key indicator that things might be about to go downhill very quickly. Um, so, you know, that's just something to look out for, I guess, is one of those red flags. Uh, but when that happens, it can be, it you know, it can be pretty confronting for the person involved. And, you know, sort of going back to what I was saying before is it's, it's not something that the military-minded person would expect to happen. Mm. You know, they, they're prepared for fucked up shit on the job. They're prepared to see people die. They're prepared for potentially IED blasts, you know, when they're deployed. It's, you know, IEDs I like to also classify as a sort of unexpected event because it's very hard to plan for something like that. Yeah. Um, that's why it can have such a huge impact psychologically is because you can generally control what happens in the contact but you can't really control the IED blast because it's just so out of the blue um, compared to, you know, a couple shots going off or whatever, then you have the contact drill. I mean, there's not that I know of, there's not really many IED drills that you get taught in the fucking Survive. Military. Yeah, that, and that's exactly right. It's like, you know, if the bomb goes off, just fucking try to stay alive in whatever way you can mm. and then respond to the inevitable follow-up contact. Mm. But, like, the fact that you've just been blown up is probably a pretty good indicator that things are about to go pretty bad. So that tends to fit into those things that is like a extremely traumatic, unexpected event that affects military members much more than just a regular contact. Um, now I'm obviously not a mental health professional, but when I was explaining it to the doc about this particular situation, I said, if you are looking for things that are going to affect someone with a military background, look in areas where they wouldn't expect like they will if they're a cop for example they expect to rock up to car accidents mm. you know it has an effect but while they're on the job they probably have a way to compartmentalize they probably have a way and i mean you see it in the news uh, a couple of years ago or whatever or you hear about it is cops and paramedics making jokes while mm. they're on the scene right military members do that too it's a coping mechanism right it's the only way they can possibly deal with this really fucked up shit that's in front of them um so i'm not condoning the fact that they laugh about fucked up stuff i'm just saying that that's that's the best they've got you know that's all they've got is their humor so they rely on that um but when you look at things that they don't expect to happen that tends to be where the really big effects come from is the breakups, the relationship issues, cheating. That's another mm, big one. Yeah. Um, and I've heard, you know, anecdotes of um, people that have spent their like, their careers in these emergency services or military, yeah. like a firefighter. One I heard was a firefighter of like 20 years, been to a bunch of stuff, car crashes, the work, seen yeah. stuff. And then, but he'd never been bothered. But the one that got him was when there was a car accident out the front of his house. And yeah. I think some backpackers or something got killed or mauled. Mauled is the wrong word. They crashed into they crashed into a bear. He was, yeah, he was off duty at home, yeah. and he, they, there was an accident. He went out and helped the situation. But that's what got him because he was in his like not work mind. Yeah, there was no com about he couldn't like put that into his work compartment in his brain. Yeah. It's, yeah. And when you, th I mean, you think about how someone like that gets ready for work every day. They've got a set of clothes that they mm. wear every single time. You know, they've got their body armor, the rifle, the pistol, or whatever it might be. 
in a military context, um, you know, even firefighters have their oxygen tanks and helmets. Mm. And, you know, they've got this equipment that they rely on and they know they can use very well. Whereas, and even paramedics have access to their ambulance and mm. all the equipment in there. They know that whatever happens, they feel ready because they've done the drills, they've trained for it, they're there, good to go. But when something like that happens, you know, like um, I remember another a guy you know, I used to work with, he had a very similar situation. He spent a lot of time in the military. And at this point, it was recognized that there were mental health issues anyway. But there was an accident right out the front of their place. And it was a really fucked up situation. Motorbike Mm. accident, no helmet, things had just gone everywhere, basically. And he was the first responder. And that particular situation had a much bigger impact on him than a lot of the stuff that he'd done Mm. in the military because that's his house, you know, that's his family, that's the home, that's where he goes to relax and switch off and try and get away from all this bullshit. And suddenly there's that same event but where you do not want it you know, yeah where you're trying I've to be detached read a, um, a few like autobiographies from guys from military they may have been sf and they've gone uh, special forces and gone into like contracting and stuff so they've got quite an extensive history of you know career of potentially traumatic events or traumatic events um and in one of them i remember he's talking about um as he's when he was this one guy was still in the uh, the military and he was leading up to his deployment because he's so used to going away he's got his like process of how he slowly switches over to like deployment mode or arm yeah. or military mode and he's explained like you know i'm a bit more quiet at dinner and stuff and i don't yeah. engage with my family and like there's this full process this guy's going through to prepare himself mentally for what he's about to do um and i guess you know that's his survival thing his brain survival method yeah and i mean we've gotten a little bit off topic and it's become slightly anecdotal mm. uh, but these are all examples of the extremely diverse effect that mental health um sort of that mental health environment exists in you know um just because somebody is someone you would consider mentally resilient you know they've been through stuff and they've handled it well does not mean that it hasn't affected them just because they say it hasn't affected them doesn't mean that there are physiological things going on on the inside that might pop up later so just because you're okay now does not mean that it's it's potentially going to last forever. And I'm not saying that, you know, if you're fine now, you're going to be shit later. That's certainly not what I'm saying. I'm saying that you need to be aware of the coping mechanisms that you have, um, whether they are positive or negative. For example, a positive coping mechanism could be regular exercise, but a negative coping mechanism could be heavy drinking on the Mm. weekends or something. Um, These are things that you should be aware of and you go and recognize, oh, okay, I am doing this because it and it might have something to do with your mental health you know if you're doing it because it makes you feel better (laughs) chances are it's related to your mental health um and you need to be aware that if you have a a severe change in circumstance like a transition out of a long military career or like um you know a sudden loss of job or a sudden you know uh breakup or something like that uh, those coping mechanisms are going to be the things that either get you through or fail you, you know, and if it's something like drinking, chances are it's not going to help you very much, you know, or if it's uh, medication or whatever, where so it's, it's really important to recognize what you do to maintain your mental health. And then do it regularly, you know, make sure that you have that structure and you go, okay, I, I do these things for my mental health. Uh, they are important to me. I don't sacrifice and I don't put them off for other reasons, stuff like that. Mm. Um, and I think going back to 
PTSD in general, I think it's really important to recognize that it's not restricted to any one community or group of people. No, and the learning more and more about it, like I remember being, I was told, I think it was Dr. Kev that told me this, he was saying um, postnatal depression. Yeah. They're now considering that more of a, the reason it's more similar to PTSD than they would have ever imagined due to the nature of it and what happens during it and the effects after. So um, they're constantly learning more about it. And I do uh, want to address that thing you said before about people saying, Oh, I don't understand why they keep changing the mm. changing the requirements for PTSD. The reason is because the research is evolving. Yeah. Right? If you know anything about the scientific community in general or how people learn and grow, is that the answer right now is likely not going to be the answer ten years in the future with a shitload more data to mm. back you up. You know, so and that's why this military focus is so prevalent is because like we said initially all the research came from people in the military but now that they've recognized recognized the signs and symptoms they're starting to do exactly what you said they're starting to go hang on a second women that have postnatal depression fit this criteria Mm. and so rather than having three separate conditions to to describe the one thing they're going okay this fits under this banner of a high level stress disorder Um, another one is sexual abuse survivors Mm. and sexual assault victims stuff like that um they have very experience uh, very similar physiological reactions to you know what what you would consider a ptsd diagnosis so um just because they haven't deployed somewhere and been in combat does not mean that they don't fit that that diagnosis and i think it's important to also address that just because somebody is diagnosed with something like that um it doesn't mean that they fit into this sort of nice little box whatever Mm. it might be and it's not an identifier it's purely a way for the medical community and the mental health uh, professional community to treat them as effectively as possible yeah diagnose diagnoses are extremely important not so you can just go he's a depression patient that's them that's all it is it's so they can know how to treat it the best yeah because if you know and there's a lot involved with treatment especially nowadays um if someone is diagnosed with something and it's like okay you need to be on this medication and do this treatment and then they find out later oh it was actually just like some it was mainly say anxiety and there was some onflowing depressive symptoms from that um then we go we've been doing the wrong thing the whole time and this has not been helping this person at all and that's that's an example of why these things are so so important to know yeah yeah because knowing you know knowledge is power kind of thing yeah that's exactly right and that's why there are different levels to this kind of thing you know stress disorders you know like ptsd or acute stress disorder or adjustment disorder are um are a label that allows a mental health professional and a medical professional to treat that person the best way they know Mm. you know if they don't know what the diagnosis is then i mean they they could end up wasting their time on a huge range of things that just aren't gonna help Mm. they might even be detrimental so it's really important for the the medical community to understand what's going on with that person so that they can provide a treatment pattern to help them recover get better have a you know have a great like rest of their life ideally um and that sort of leads into i guess one of my last points is um just because you have it right now does not make it permanent it does not define who you are it doesn't Mm. mean that that is who you are for the rest of your life right so you might be let's let's go with depression you might be prone to 
uh, you know, intense bouts of depression or whatever, that doesn't mean that you are depressed 24-7, right? It also means that, uh, you know, you are more likely to experience uh, a higher level of severity with regards to that condition. So it just means that you need to be aware of your coping mechanisms and what you do to help yourself through those periods of time. But it also means that there's light at the end of the tunnel, you know. Mm. It doesn't mean that you are just ptsd riddled forever you're not depressed for the rest of your life it's just a matter of uh you know ticking the treatment boxes right see the medical professional and then uh do whatever they say you need to do for treatment and then ideally at the end of it you come out doing better or you have a much better way of maintaining yourself and managing those conditions um it's like i guess you could compare it to um let's go obesity for simplicity's sake, mm-hmm. is just because you're fat right now does not make you fat forever. Mm-hmm. Right? If you do the right things, you will lose the weight. However, if you do all the right things, lose the weight, and then stop doing all the right things, it's going to come back. Mm-hmm. Right? You're just going to sink back down, to, especially if you're prone to that condition. Translates right over to mental health. If you are prone to those particular conditions, you need to do all the right things all of the time so that when you experience the hard points or the lows and stuff, you are able to manage them much better than if you didn't do all the right things. Yeah. And a couple points I want to address too is um, from more just like a general perspective, um, way, when people look at things like PTSD or mental health conditions in general, they have a tendency to look at the, the causation. So PTSD, oh, you got shot at overseas, you got blown up or you saw a car crash, you lost a very close loved one and whatever. Um, it, the thing, the important thing to focus on is the effect it's having on their life, yeah. not what caused it. What caused it really is, realistically is a personal thing and between them and, say, their health professionals yeah. because that can help them reach diagnoses, et cetera. For anyone else, it doesn't really matter. It's helping them if you are, say, part of their support network or you're just a third party looking in. It's you're looking at what, how is it affecting their life? And that's one of the key points with any um, mental health condition, um, from what I've been told by actual mental health professionals, is that um, something is considered a mental health condition when it's affecting someone's life. Yeah. You know, everyone gets sad, not everyone gets depressed. Everyone gets nervous, not everyone gets anxious, etc. Yeah. Um, so when, and that's what you need to look at. That's the important part. If this person can't get out of bed or they can't go in public places because of the condition they have, that's what's important. The fact that it, they've, um, have that from the traumatic event doesn't really matter. Yeah, not to you. Anyway. Not to you. Matters to yeah, the doctor. yeah. That's what right. I said. Like it's that's between them and their, their health professionals. It's doesn't matter for anyone else. Yeah. And it's otherwise it's just curiosity. Generally, like oh, what happened to you? Or yeah. What happened to them? And then and that tends to lead to all manner of bullshit. You know? Oh yeah. Because the minute you ask, oh, what happened to stop you from getting out of bed? You know, they want to check if it's valid on their fucking mm. scale, you know. Oh, no, that wouldn't make me not get out of bed. Yeah. You must be weak. Yeah, and I Fuck mentioned... Off, man. Because yeah. that person's still not getting out of bed. Yeah, I mentioned, because we said earlier that um, individual um, reactions to traumatic events vary from person to person. We don't know why, but also a consideration is double standards, especially from people that haven't experienced... Um, these things, like someone may have a traumatic experience, and another person who's never had that be like, I wouldn't react like that. Yeah. They're weak. Or when, they, but when then it does happen to them, they're like, oh, what was me? Um, and, you know, that's just more like social dynamics and like, I've got it harder than everyone. That's not really worth going into. 
Um, but the other thing I do want to say too is that if someone does, like the silver lining of everything is that even if someone is gatekeeping these conditions um, or PTSD specifically, the silver lining is that they do believe they exist. Yeah. Because worse than that, I would say, is someone that doesn't exist, believe in them at all. Because that, yeah. that does exist. There are people that are like, no, any mental health condition is just made up. They yeah. just, they're just weak. I'm just strong, blah, 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 bullshit, smoke me. It's just hot. Yeah, so if you do, even if they believe that, then there is the opportunity for them to um, expand their understanding of these topics or these subjects and they can then be more open-minded and learn more and eventually maybe have a broader understanding and um, a bit more appreciative of the kind of things people are experiencing. So even if, say, if we've been speaking about this whole time, you're just sitting there going, fuck them, nah, unless you've been, you know, narrowly avoided death, knife fighting overseas <laughs> don't want to fucking know about it then at least there is room for you to eventually whether that's through direct experience with people or just through your own research to learn eventually and that's that's an ongoing thing and that's point part of the whole point of this article was to just give a little bit of information for people to learn a bit more so not only so they can know what they are but so if they ever come across someone or even themselves that is displaying some of these signs of symptoms they can go hey maybe there's a bit more to this and maybe i should look into it a bit more because i know that these are indicative of some of these things maybe i should speak to a professional about that yes i would say that's probably step one yeah i would say speak speak to someone um if you are nervous about the doctor speak to someone you really trust and i would hope that or if someone comes to you um with that i would hope that that person you trust can say i think you should see a professional because that is the best course of action yeah and And after that it tends to have to do with the behavioral change mm. you know so you have to work hard at these conditions. You yes. Know, there's nothing that says it's ever going to be easy. So uh, be open to professionals, be open to learning. And, um, and if you have absolutely no experience in this, just don't fucking talk about it. <laughs> yeah, just, yeah, leave them alone. Cool. Um, so I think that about wraps up the article. Yeah. Yeah, sweet. All right, well, thank you for listening. This article's been, uh, this podcast has been on the article Deconstructing an Acronym. Where oh, we, and we've got, just ooh. quick down the bottom... Of the article, there's heaps of... Um, oh, yes, we have in an article, page. and this article will be linked in the description for wherever you're watching slash listening to this. At the bottom of the page, we have a bunch of phone numbers for mental health services like Lifeline um, or Beyond Blue and some veteran-specific ones. So if you feel like you want to know those or that you need those, check them out. And, and we have that page of... Um, yes, we also have a mental health page on our page. If you go on the top left underneath the big sexy A, there's articles. If you go into that drop-down box, it yes. should say mental health resources. And you can check. There's a bunch more in there if you ever feel like you need them or just want to have them handy. Yes. So uh, thank you, anyone that's listened. Uh, we appreciate it. We've been talking about PTSD. Um, and we'll be back for the next article, which I can't remember what it is. Yeah. Something. Cool. Thanks for listening. This is Anvil TD. We'll catch you later. Bye. Thanks for joining us for this episode of The Hard Way with Anvil T&D. This is all made possible by listeners like you, so thank you for your support. If you enjoyed this one, hit the like button and subscribe so you never miss a show. Make sure to visit our website, www.anviltd.com, and check out some of our articles and other podcasts. While you're at it, if you found value in this show, any positive ratings really help. Or if you simply tell a friend about us, that would help us out too. If you have an opinion on something we talk about, we would love to know in the comments.
Be sure to tune in for our next episode. And remember, train smart, train hard.